Before we start today's podcast, I just wanted to tell you all about our sponsors for the 2024 season. Our agency are a full-service digital agency specialising in branding, digital marketing and bespoke systems to streamline your business. They offer upfront, no-nonsense advice to help you achieve your goals. They are proud to be supporting the Wakefield Trinity Community Foundation as well as the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast this year. Drop them a line and make our agency your agency. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from and welcome to the season three premiere of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. It's a great honour to bring the episode 119 to the listeners in 2024. I'm your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and it's great, as always, to be joined by my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, dad? Hello, and thank you for joining us again for the podcast in season three. Uh, to start with, a big thank you to all the listeners for your continued support over the last two years. We have had our break and now we're off again. And what a start. We've got our new head coach. This year, this fella starts his 40th season in rugby. Having started out as a player with Sheffield Legals back in 1984, 511 first-class games later, followed by 564 games as a first-class coach, he has now come to Bellevue and joined us at Trinity. We've tracked him down. We've got him this week. Welcome, Daryl Powell. Daryl, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, pleasure. Um, yeah, just looking really looking forward to the challenge. Obviously, talk about that a fair bit uh, during this podcast, but... Um, I've been so impressed with the club so far and really enjoying uh, the build-up to the new season. There can't be many um, individuals out there in rugby league, Daryl, who's, who's played over 500 first-class games and coached over 500 first-class games. You must be winning a million there. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I was looking through... Um, I don't know how I ended up looking at how many games I'd coached. Uh, something came up about the uh, the coaches that have coached more Super League games than anybody else, and I think Tony Smith's first, and I'm I'm second. Um, yeah, it's uh, obviously my playing career. When you talk about over five hundred games, explains why my body feels like it does at times. Um, and then coaching, well, uh, that explains why my hair's so so grey. Um, although uh, I was talking to Josh Griffin the other day, and he was. He would say, well, you've kept your hair. Uh, was, yeah. yeah. So you've got something to be uh, grateful about. Good stuff, mate. I mean, so like I say, we're on episode 119, mate, and every interview we've had, we've asked the same first question. So I'm going to ask you that same first question, Daryl. And what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Uh, I think that just one word really is change. Um, if you look at the the club now and where, where it's going, um, it's had uh, a really rich history in in the past, um, but I think you know in recent times you would say that it's it's been a little bit disappointing, and um, I, I just see with with Matt taking the club over, not to decry anything that anybody's done in the past, but it it's needed some investment. Uh, it's needed someone to come in who who uh, who can see a you know, a rich future for, for the club and be willing to invest in, in that rich future. Um and some of the things that that he's doing, the way he talks about the club, I think um it, it's just got change written all over it and um obviously getting relegated is not fantastic, but I think it it does give the ability to to form a really strong foundation moving forward and to build a squad and to build a club that that everybody can can be proud of. I think that there are some really good foundations there at the moment. It's about 
growing that and driving it forward and making sure that um that the future is is, is really strong and I can I can just see the roots being put in place now and like I say I've already been impressed with lots of things that that I've seen in in the playing group and and I think what Matt's doing in terms of driving the club forward is going to bear rich fruit in in the future and and make everybody proud and that's in sport what you want to be is proud of of your organisation proud of the players that take the field proud of everybody that represents the club and and that's um, that's our mission. And it's a dream. It's a dream and a bit of fresh air for us fans who've sort of been not suffering for so long, but you know we've sort of our, our main aim in the last few years is to avoid relegation. So to for Matt to come in and obviously we met him last week, last week and the weekend game, he's got a, such a vision, and the crowd are buying into it. You know, five thousand season tickets, taking a thousand to York, we're all buying into it straight away, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just how positively he talks about things, and 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 I think. Uh, as well is he, he understands what what the fans want, which is uh, you don't often say that to be honest. You know, I think he's he's where he goes with the price point and the way he's gone around sort of advertising and selling those season tickets. It's what what fans want, um, and that's that's you know, like I say, it's quite rare. I think generally, you know, you, you look at what what does the club want, what does the club need, which is obviously hugely important. But he's taken a different viewpoint on it, and I think if you put fans first, then that's obviously going to be um, it's going to be looked on by the fans in a really favourable way. Um, and he's he's a fan. <laughs> I think that's probably yeah. you know the most important thing. He's a fan, and he loves it, and he wants he wants the club to be the very best it can be, and. Every time I talk to him, that sort of passion comes out of his 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 voice, comes out of his actions. Um, so so yeah, I, I think he's he's uh, he's going to be a, an unbelievable owner. I, I think there's there's no doubt he's going to have some stresses and challenges because that's you know owning a, a sporting organisation is never a, a straight line. But he started really well, and um, I, I think um, you know he's. He's done really well in the in the people that he's appointed. I'm not just saying he's appointed me, but I think I think we've got some you know some really important people on on the performance side, and uh, and, and we you know we've got quite a bit of experience, and we want to make sure that we support Matt to to drive what he wants, what he wants it to look like, and obviously we're using our experience to help him to to understand what it's like on uh, from a, a rugby league perspective because it's 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 a it's a sporting organisation and they are different entities to, to business in, in lots of ways. When life settles down a bit, we're trying to get him on the podcast. He said he'll come on, but he's that busy. I'll, I'll, I'm leaving him be for the time being until he gets his feet settled and the uh, season starts and uh, he can, he's got more time. Uh, you, must be yeah. sick, you must be sick of this, this next question, but I've mentioned it before. You've got a smile on your face these days. You know, over the last few years, we've seen you on telly, we've seen you on Sky. Life's been a bit of a struggle. But since you've started taking on the role last October, you've got a smile on your face and everybody else around you has as well. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I have this question all the time because uh, if you look on game day, well, I'm never really that smiley. I, I'm just concentrating and that's my, my game face, really, but... I think if most people that you ask would say that I'm I'm pretty chilled and relaxed and in the coaching environment I'm I'm always sort of laughing and smiling and um you know it's, it's just people like to call me miserable which I I don't think I am and I know there's there's been a when I've met people uh, at Wakefield um 
I went to a, a couple of dinners around Christmas and people are saying, uh, oh, he's always smiling and happy. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm kind of like that in real real life, which, you know, the uh, I, I think the game face stuff is is something that people take a bit far and uh, I don't worry about it too much. I just crack on and, um, and, and just enjoy my time. I love coaching, love being around players. It keeps me young. Um, which is a challenge, uh, and uh, and you know I'm really enjoying my time. Uh, I generally, you know, I, Warrington was a tough challenge, and um, some coaching jobs that you have, <clears throat> where you, you know, if, if you feel at at home as a coach in a place, then it's it's a fair bit easier. Um, and I certainly do it at Wakefield, you know, and and that helps. Then if you feel at home, you feel like you've you've got the support of the people around you, then. Um, it's conducive to to really enjoying what you're doing. That brings the best out of me, and that then enables me to to then try and bring the best out of other people, which has always been my mission as a coach to uh, to help people to thrive and and be the very best that they can be. When you've had an experience like Warrington, you know, back in the last year, did you, did you go home and sit down with Janice and think, oh, you know, I've had enough, or were you raring to go and say, right, give me another job, I'm ready? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think. Um, I think Janice would have liked me to have taken a little bit more time out, if I'm honest, uh, after after that experience. Uh, and I was sort of pretty reflective and uh, thinking, what am I going to do next? But there's no way, though. I've I, I feel like I've I've been pretty successful wherever I've I've been, um, <clears throat> and I couldn't leave it at that. Just absolutely no way. You know, I wanted to uh, to get another challenge that enabled me to. Uh, uh, to to show that I I still had a lot to to offer, um, and and that came around pretty quick through uh through Matt contacting me, and uh, it didn't take me long really to I was just sort of coming out the other side of of thinking right what am I going to do next, and and then Matt Matt contacted me so yeah once went once I met him went to meet him and and thought yeah this is this is the challenge that I would like to take on. Good stuff, Matt. 1965, Stanley Matthews becomes the first footballer to get a knighthood. Um, Miss Universe's Miss Thailand that year, and a Mr. Daryl Powell is born in Ackworth in West Yorkshire, mate. Tell us about upbringing in the 60s around Ackworth and Pontefract, where? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I was yeah, I was born in uh, on Mount Pleasant um, in my uh, in my my grand's house. Um, I still drive by that all the time and think, yep. Yeah, that's that's where I came from, and um, mm-hmm. so I'm sort of you know smack bang in sort of rugby league territory, but didn't really know much about rugby league until much later. Um, my, my dad was an electrician, <clears throat> and we moved to Fitzwilliam for for a short while before we ended up settling in in Pontefract. Uh, so I spent a, a lot of time sort of as I was growing up in 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 that area. Um, my dad worked in the in the coal mines for a for a bit as an electrician. My mum did the numerous numerous jobs. I worked at a fishy a fish and chip shop and got some free fish and chips every now and again, which was <laughs> which was pretty good. Um, and yeah, just a normal you know pretty pretty steady upbringing. Um, uh, lived uh, just on the outskirts of of Pontefract, um, pretty close to to Checkerfield really, and. Um. Yeah, had a had a dog and uh, and a sister and um. Yeah, just ended up just being just like your normal sort of young kid growing up in in Yorkshire. Um, you know, good values. Uh, 
going to school around that area um and and yeah just en enjoyed it enjoyed the, the the sort of upbringing and trying to find out who you are as a as a young person and um i was always all right you should school without ever um ever going to be a scientist or anything like that you know i was um i was just working hard to to sort of find out who I was as a young person. And, you know, it's a bit different back then, you know, it's, you didn't have the technology or, or anything like that. People, people nowadays, you had to talk to our players and talk about what it was like back then. They just, they just wouldn't get it at all. You know, you used to have the phone that you used to put your finger in and dial all the way around and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was completely different to, to the world that we, we see today. Were you an active lad? Did you play sport? <clears throat> Yeah, um, yeah, I used to, you know, the old stuff that you used to do, you know, playing. Depend if you are, if you're in the summer, you'd play tennis and and play cricket. Just round is pretty. Well, I drive round there every now and again and have a look, um, and and look at where the garages where we used to play cricket and play football, and it's so small, you know, it's just it's tiny. How it just looks and feels so different. Uh, but yeah, it's massively into uh, football. Supported Leeds United. My granddad was a big Leeds United fan and he used to take me to the games. Um, I used to think I was David Harvey diving around, saving, uh, diving around on concrete all the time, saving goals. And yeah, every sport that was going, I, I was, I was playing it. So, um, I was pretty active in, you know, uh, it's like with Danny Kermond's uh, an ornithologist and I, I'm the same, um, all sorts of stuff like that. Just, you know, I was into, into everything really. And, uh, but sport was and has always been, um, you know, a real priority for me. Um, used to have a, you know, the the chippers and the choppers, the bikes, um, <laughs> uh, just stuff like that. So yeah, the uh, I mean the the choppers sort of came, they came back in involved, didn't they? Not long ago, um, yeah. So it was it was an interesting upbringing, and sport was always a big part of it. And what led you down the rugby league path? Well, that took a fair while. That's so I. <clears throat> my, my dad moved to uh, uh, Glass Out, and so we moved as a family to Glass Out. My dad got a job in the coking plant there, and so we moved uh, and lived down Car Lane in in Glass Out. Uh, and so I then went. To, I went. From, I was at Carlton School High School in Pontefract, and moved to Castleford High School, which was a is challenging moving in in the second year. Uh, of high school, moving from one to another, that I found that a really challenging experience. Um, but the sport was massively on the agenda at, at Casford High School, and particularly the the rugby side of it, which I played a little bit of rugby union at uh, at Carlton because it's slightly different in Pontefract. It's more rugby union at Kings it is, which is sort of I find really strange to be honest, but. Uh, so I played a bit of rugby union, but not much. I was majorly into football at that time. Um, and then when I went to uh, Castleford, the rugby league side of it started to, I started to see that a little bit more. But the, even then, I didn't really play. I played for the football uh, team, the school team. Uh, I, I didn't really start playing rugby league until I left school. So when I left school, <clears throat> um, Glass out and had a, had a rugby league team then. And I, I played, uh, I played under 17s uh, and, um, and then they folded the year after. They had an under nineteens team, and that was probably the the sort of the, the big uh, the big thing for me is I went to Red Hill, so I just went up to play play Red Hill, just out of nowhere really. 
and and there was a guy there called Walt Watts, who was uh, Liam Watts's granddad. Mm-hmm. And it was then that really I found someone who who, who was at, who actually coached. You know, he was really good, and he's um, he he was a bit of an inspiration there to me, getting involved in the game and wanting to play it. And then in that one year, I played uh, I played for Yorkshire. We played in a in a final down at Castleford. I played for Yorkshire and I got selected for for the Great Britain um, team to to go and play in France, the Barla team, uh, and and I did that and then I, I ended up getting signed in that one year. It was a big year for me and Walt was a massive part of that. And then then uh, yeah, I signed for Sheffield and that's where the sort of ju- the journey started. It was a it was a it was a pretty quick sort of sort of moving into rugby league and then. Um, there was nothing on me really. It was a pretty small, you know, not I was been about eighty four, eighty three, eighty four kilos. But uh, yeah, I got an offer from Sheffield, uh, one from OKR, and then Cass, as they used to do back then, they offered me a trial. Um, <laughs> typical of Cass, and I, uh, I ended up I just, I just well, I want to play, so I ended up going to Sheffield um, against my dad's wishes, but it's it's what I wanted to do. So yeah, it turned pretty quick from getting into rugby league to getting signed professionally. I find these late bloomer stories, Daryl, just fascinating. You know, it's something like a Jamie Vardy in football or, you know, like Alex Warms, they're coming through the, the university system in rugby league. For yourself as well, not not really hitting the grade until kind of 16, 17, 18. It, it must have really hit you really quick. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, there's different pathways in there and people, you know, I was, I was always really aggressive as a as an individual and you know, it's probably more suited to, to rugby league, but I never really got into it. You know, I was just more football, probably through the influence of my granddad. And and back then it was, uh, you had the Colts system, um, which was the under the under 19s and then the reserve system, which, uh, which I really believe in. I think rugby league is a late maturation sport anyways. You know, it, it makes sense that you, you, you get into rugby league or you, that's where the, the system should should be at its best, really, because um, you don't really develop until you're a little bit older physically. And and rugby leagues are, and the last time I looked at it, it's a pretty physical sport. So <laughs> you need to you need to be good physically. And you know, I I think we overdo scholarships at the moment. I think the the more that that kids can play different sports um, and they find the way through to to play in a game like rugby league uh, as they develop more more physically is. Well, it's common sense to me. How, how difficult is it these days, Daryl, to retain players in the reserves where they're not going to be guaranteed first-team appearances quite often? But say, for example, they've got quite a good apprenticeship deal at the local you know, local mechanics or local Alecchi or something like that. How hard is it to keep them in the club and keep that drive for playing rugby league? Oh, well, we've, we've not really had a, a system that's that's been going for for any length of time really it's uh, you know we've sort of jumped around with with reserves it, it costs money rugby league's not not a, a really rich sport so so the way that rugby league's gone after it is you know the academy players will continue in education um and and hopefully they they get something because rugby league you, you don't earn millions from rugby league do you so you're going to need to work afterwards. So it, that education part of it has always been seen as really important. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, th- that's the most difficult thing, I think, is keeping people in your system or you see who's got some potential. Um, but you don't you don't quite have the money to keep them doing what 
what they're doing. They can't go full time, um, and and you want them to to stay in education. So it's getting the balance right. Um, but I I just think reserves is is so important. Obviously, if you, if you're not playing for the first team, you need to be able to play somewhere. Otherwise, you get out of uh, out out of the the groove of playing re- really quickly. And um, you know, this the system still isn't quite quite right. So it's a difficult one to answer that because it's not it's not something that we do. We haven't been doing for long enough, mm. and the the development pathway is has been broken. Is trying to be fixed now, but needs the clubs really to to invest into to that level of of development. And uh, not every club sees it that that way. They've all got different different agendas. Um, so that it's still got some some work to do. To be honest, the game. I mean. Good stuff, mate. Back to Sheffield. Um, you know, obviously you were 18, you were the very first signing at Sheffield Eagles. How did that come about? Did Gary Everington come knock on your door? <clears throat> yeah, he uh so he, he he came to watch me play in that in that final. Um yeah. and then yeah, he came to see me and, and he offered me a it was a uh a different deal. So they'd got a, a, a sponsorship deal with Telvista, which is a television company. Mm. Um but they went bankrupt after one month, so I got paid what I yeah I got paid what I got offered uh, for one month, and then uh, Gary sat us all down and said, "Look, look, this is going to have to going to have to change." So it was it was a part time uh, opportunity, um, and I, I could have gone to OKR. They offered me more money, to be honest. But the, at that time, they were uh, they I think they had something like fourteen players uh, who uh, there were no overseas restriction then overseas players, and I just thought I'm going to play at Sheffield. I just think it's the right opportunity for me. Uh, but then that deal went went through, and I was I was sort of mulling it over. What do I do there? Do I um, do I go and see if OKI would be interested, or did I do I sit around and fight my way through? And I decided to 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 stay and fight my way through and and, and see where it took me and. Um, Gary Everton was a really smart operator. You know, he's really young back then. I think he was twenty eight, twenty nine when he when he set the club up. And for someone to remortgage a house and like he did, and and put it into into a club like Sheffield, uh, I, I thought was it was phenomenal and visionary, really. And I think he's been one of those sort of administrators that has done an unbelievable job. And and you look at Eddie now and see how how much of a classy operation it is. A lot of that is down to him and obviously Paul Caddick and the investment. But back then Gary was was at Sheffield and um and he was he was everywhere really and he, he built something pretty special there, the way that the uh, the sponsors got around the club. You know, I, I ended up coaching in the schools, which probably set the pathway for me as a as a coach. In the way that I communicated, he just gave. I, I just ended up getting a lot of experiences that helped me to grow as a person. Uh, coaching in schools and something that you know, some of our young players at, at the moment we're talking about, giving them the opportunity to do that. Excellent stuff. We're very, uh, we're very pro Gary Hetherington. He, he's pro. He likes Wakefield. He likes history. He likes heritage. And he played in your debut. You remember your debut for Sheffield? Yeah, I, I, uh, Rochdale on it's at Owlerton Stadium. Uh, you right, know, yeah. it's uh, yeah, the dog track. Um, yeah, I remember it. I, I played all right. You know, I was I was pretty young. Played played against Rochdale. Rochdale. They were they they were all right. Uh, decent team. You know, it was a uh, is a decent crowd on there. It was uh, yeah, it was a good introduction to to rugby league. I mean, it, he, he, Gary created a and I've had a couple of people who who I've learned a lot from in terms of building teams and building a culture. 
uh, Gary was one of them, and what he created there was a real team spirit, real bond around some uh, some really really good players from from uh, you know the Castle, a lot of Castleford, Bartley, you know Featherstone area. We trained we trained in Featherstone, um, and he created something really special there in terms of a team spirit. And really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed my time at at, at Sheffield and learned so much from from Gary. About building building teams, um, I'll talk about Graham Murray a little bit further down the track. But he was another one in terms of building cultures, which is so important in in sporting organisations and getting that right, which helps the team to, to to thrive and prosper and all work so hard for each other. Uh, but he, he did that really well, Gary, and a lot of it was obviously based at, in and around the Featherstone area. Train from a training perspective, but then. Um, play, playing at, at Sheffield in a city that sort of didn't really, you know, know rugby league before. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at the team you you played with. Your props were Billy Harris and Vince Farrer, a couple of characters. Paul McDermott looks forward. We've had him on the podcast, and you were in centre alongside Mark Campbell. Is that Mark Campbell who's at Featherstone now? Well, no. So there's there was a bit of a story there. So Mark Campbell did sign. Uh, from Featherstone did sign for uh, Sheffield. Uh, he didn't play too much. I think he fell out with Gary at, at some point along his journey. Uh, it's not like Mark. Um, but th- there was a Mark Q Campbell who was, uh, he was from Leeds. He was a big physical centre. Um, so that's how he used to, I don't know what his, his middle name was, but it was Mark Q Campbell who, who, who played uh, in, in the centre and, uh, different person. I, I'm not sure how many games Mark Campbell from Featherstone actually played, but he uh, he was a hooker and he played one or two games before. I think he went to Featherstone and, and ended up playing there. Right. You remember beating Trinity that year? You play, you drew him with John Player. Yeah, no, I can't to be honest. I mean, yeah, you know, I remember certain games, but it's a long time ago. I mean, when you mentioned before, it is, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's forty years ago. Yeah, uh, forty years is a long time ago, isn't it? I mean, you know, some of the the detail of it. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's interested in picking some of it up. I don't remember all, all of the games, but you know, I remember some good good battles with with Trinity uh, uh, along the way. But that would have been a huge win. That would have been a huge win for Sheffield. Yeah, I'm just looking. I, I only know because the programme's in front of me. You, you won 17-6, and I remember going as a fan. But you had, you still had Gary Edrington, Vince Farrell, Billy Harris. But you had Sam Panapa at standoff. Is that the, that's obviously the fellow that went to Wigan. Yeah, Sam. Sam played that. One of the things that Gary was really good at was uh, signing young overseas players who came and and ended up thriving and prospering. But he also had a had a knack of of signing players from Australia, uh, like on short term deals. So he signed Mark Dyer and and Cliff Lyons yes, on on short term deals when they got suspended in Australia, <laughs> and that's <laughs> that, that was phenomenal. That I remember Mark Guy coming he was absolutely monstrous, and, and um, Cliff <laughs> Lyons was just phenomenal. What a player! Just you know, he, he he'd smoke about forty things a day, but you get him on a rugby field, and wow, he was just unbelievable, um, just. Played with so much time and uh, so much experience, and he was a, a really, really phenomenal player, uh, Cliffy. And Gary used to do all that. So he signed, yeah, people like Sam Sam Panapa, who ended up having a having a great career at Wigan. He had eleven years at Sheffield, mate. Three hundred and twelve games. What were some of the highs and lows of some of those times at Sheffield? Oh well, getting promoted uh, was was big. Um, yeah, we. Which we'd worked hard to to develop a, a really strong strong team. Being captain for as long as I was, yeah, he, Gary made me captain at nineteen. 
he'd seen something in me, um, and I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed responsibility, and and I prospered as as being a a pretty young captain. Um, and and then, um, we got promoted. Uh, and and spent some time and we beat Witness. They they'd won the World Cup challenge and and we ended up beating Witness at at, at Bramall Lane. Uh, we played at some some really good stadiums in and around the the Steel City. You know, played at Sheffield Wednesday at Oakwell and uh, sorry at Oakwell at, at Barnsley and, and and played at both Sheffield stadiums and uh, they they were just great. You know, we, we ended up because we had to move from uh, we had to move from uh, the the dog track uh, to. Uh, uh, to Don Valley, and during that period of transition, we had to move all around. So we played at Chesterfield, played at Oakwell, played at different uh, football grounds all over the place. Uh, so, so yeah, it was some interesting times. But getting promoted was was awesome. You know, beating Widnes, who just they were they had some unbelievable players there. You know, people like Jonathan Davies playing playing for them. So, uh, yeah, that that was great. The low time we got relegated as well. So. Um, <laughs> You know that was that was challenging, um, but playing with some unbelievable players al- along the way at Sheffield, uh, and and being in a really close close knit knit team, we won a couple of premierships in in the second division. They were special times. And I got man of the match in in one of them. I scored. I played in three and scored hat trick in in two. Mm-hmm. Um. So so yeah, we had some great times. Just the camaraderie, the togetherness was was special at Sheffield. And, and Trinity fans listening, Daryl, will, will be well aware that the last ever Yorkshire Cup final in 1992 was won by Trinity against Sheffield Eagles, but might not be fully aware that you were on the other side. You were playing for the Eagles that day at Ellen Road. Well, well I didn't actually... Yeah, I didn't play. Um, oh, didn't you? So, <laughs> no, I, I missed the game, actually. I, I, so I was, I was still an international footballer at that time. And I played against Castleford at uh, um, Don Valley. And uh, I I I ruptured my my knee ligaments, uh, and I missed I missed two games in uh, two big games in that uh, in a two week period. I missed that game. Um, I mean Nigel Wright got the man of the match in that mm. game, and um, I would have sorted him out if I'd have been playing. Um, but I, I so I missed that game, and and the World Cup final was two weeks later, oh, and yeah. I missed that game as well against Australia where. John Devereaux played in my place and missed the tackle uh, yes. on on Renouf for the for the try, um, so that that was a pretty devastating time for for me that two weeks missed two finals, um, and that that hurt me hurt me a lot. How how do you deal with kind of misfortune like that as a young lad? Oh, there's not a lot you can do. Is uh, I found it really hard being injured. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with my Achilles at, at one time in my career, and that was probably the most frustrating time for me. And I'll say to players now, you just got to keep smiling. It's easier said than done, but especially if you have a long-term injury, it's very difficult. Um, but you just you've got no option. <laughs> you've just got no option. And missing those big games, I when I was sat next to Janice in the World Cup uh, final, and I I just tears in my eyes watching it from yeah. from up, right up the top of the old stadium. Uh, broke my heart. Just broke my heart watching that. Tell us about your exploits for, for the, on the international stage, mate. I can't imagine, again, being at 16, 17 and not knowing what was ahead of you as a rugby league player and then suddenly representing your country. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I was playing for an, an unfashionable team in Sheffield. So, uh, I mean, I uh, I played overseas a couple of times. Went to uh, went to play at, uh, at Balmain in, uh, in 1988 and... Uh, 
and that was probably a kickstarter for me. Uh, you know, the the unbelievable players there. Um, you know, Benny Elias, uh, El Rianli ended up coming. Uh, Gary Jack at fullback, Steve Roach. Uh, but ev- everywhere you looked, you know, uh, Pierce, Wayne Pierce was was there. Everywhere you looked, there were phenomenal players. And I went over there, won a coaching scholarship to go to Australia, and ended up. Uh, Dave Topless actually recommended me to to Balmain, and I went and. Uh, they didn't know me from Adam. I was playing second division over here, and I um I got in first grade, <clears throat> and and then uh, I came back a different player, different different confidence about me. Um, I'd been around phenomenal players, learned a lot from from the whole environment, really. So that was really then uh, I I I'd been on the the training squad with with Great Britain just before that, before I went to to Australia. And uh, and then I got in. I, I got into play against. Uh, I was on the bench against the Kiwis actually, and didn't get on, which was a, in, a, an interesting experience. And yeah. then um, and then I went. And my debut was against France in Perpignan, um, and and uh, I, I played twenty consecutive Test matches at, at, at one time, which I was phenomenally proud proud of. Um, ended up playing something like thirty three Tests, which. You know, for me, because I, I was, I just don't think I had anything special as a as a player, apart from you know sheer determination and will to win, and and I and I was prepared to work hard, um, and so, so I think you know when you talk about players achieving the potential, I felt like I I got every scrap out of myself because I just I just had a real desire to win and willingness to be be the best I could be, um, and and to play that many times for. Uh, for Great Britain and um, I played a few times for England as well you know playing at Wembley against the Australians when we beat them 19-12 mm-hmm. uh, when we beat that record score in Melbourne when we beat them 33-10 those sort of games you know the iconic games really that you play and you just go wow I look back at them now with so much pride and and uh, you know, the players that I was fortunate enough to play with you know playing with a, a player like Ellery and and what he gave you as a when you, when you trained with him when you when you played alongside him he was he was outstanding and just so many good players you know Gary Schofield and people like that that um, it it was it was a an absolute pleasure to be to play at international level and really challenging really challenging you know I remember playing at, at Wembley in in ninety in that game I spoke about you've got um, Malman Ingram Mark McGaw uh, who were the centres then you know both of them. 110 kilos plus, which is a front rower now, and then you've got me and Carl Gibson in the centres for for Great Britain, uh, and we would have both been sort of late 80 kilos. So yeah, you get get up quick, <laughs> cut down time, uh, but yeah, that always you know I I felt like I was a, a pretty good player at international level. I don't think I was one of the top liners, but coaches picked me, and that's for me. I always say to to players. You know, what what makes coaches pick you? What do you do that that makes coaches go? Yeah, I want that kid in my team. And I felt like I uh, I did a pretty good job at that. You know, generally coaches wanted to pick me. I went on three tours, and I never missed a uh, a test on tour, which I'm really proud of. I got picked late for two of them, and and just felt like I, I aren't missing this. I am not missing uh, these tests. And Janice always laughs at me because I was saying, yeah, with the ring, now I'm not going. Uh, no, there's no way. There's no way. And then I get a phone call. I'm going right. Where do you need me? Uh, and that that was that was it. That happened twice to me. And uh, Janice still reminds me of that now. 
Is that the pinnacle as a player, Daryl? You know, representing your country against the biggest rivals at like your national stadium. Does it get any better than that? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. You know, playing on the big stage. I mean, the crowds back then, you know, I think international football has to be brought back. And it is, it is still there, but it's not the same. You know, it's, it should be revered. It should be the top of the tree. And I know players see it that way. But perhaps, you know, we don't market the game well enough and fans, we don't get the fans in. You know, I, I, the old Wembley Stadium in 1990 was unbelievable. It was so packed. Um, and it was, the atmosphere was electric, you know. <clears throat> the same as the Challenge Cup final back then, you know, it was it was, it was unbelievable to play in those games. Um, so, yeah, it is the pinnacle, you know, do, doing that, being selected above your peers. You know, I was getting picked ahead of people like Paul Nolov. Um, and he was, he was a better player than me, no, you know, he's, he was a, an unbelievable talent. But, you know, I get I got picked ahead of him for, for different reasons that coaches would want to, to explain. But I feel proud of myself that I was able to do all that. People in front of me, Paul and Lachlan, but naturally talented players, Joel Hayden, um, and, and for me, being selected in front of those players was uh, Alex Murphy used to give me a load of stick, and um, you know. But for me to get selected like that was was a huge proud moment for me in in, in my life. And and as well as being a Trinity diehard, Daryl, I'm I'm a big uh, West Tigers fan. Obviously, previously Balmain Tigers. It don't get much better than that kind of late eighties Balmain Tigers side as well. So, can, can you give any inclination what it was like being in that changing room in that time period? Well, yeah, I would just. I walked in uh, when I first got there. So, look, I'm on a coaching scholarship, right? I'm playing second division over here. So, I, I rock up and I walk into uh, I walk into the changing rooms and Paul Siren's there and he, he just stands up and I'm like, wow, he's <laughs> just massive. So, he stood up and I'm having to uh, put my hand up to shake his hand. And, uh, uh, you know, when you looked up there, I, I already mentioned <coughs> Roach, Elias, uh, Pierce, uh, all, all, all across that, um, you know, the Bruce Maguire was, was was there. The pack in particular was was phenomenal. Uh, Gary Freeman was playing at half, and they got to the grand final that that year. Uh, and I I didn't play in that. I was playing up until sort of around playoff time. But then El Elrianne came in and, and played right centre. Well, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck getting in front of him. You know, he ripped the competition apart. Um, yeah, and it was just special. You know, it was awe-inspiring to be honest. You know, going into that environment, I, I played five first-grade games. You know, the old Winfield Cup there from second division, and and I'm not sure that's been done since. You know, it's you go into the NRL from from the championship and and getting in first grade. You know, that's uh, that's effectively what I did uh, on the back of a a coaching scholarship. Uh, I won a coaching scholarship when I did my coaching badge as as the top marks on the. Uh, on the course and yeah that was unbelievable I ended up uh, Warren Ryan was the coach there you know he's, he's, I was supposed to go around and study coaching but I didn't really do much of that I just went and <laughs> played for played for Balmain <laughs> uh, and, and when I, I went over in 2017 and obviously they've amalgamated now and there's, I know there's a, a lot of sort of ill feeling about what has happened to Balmain Tigers themselves as a, as a club but they gave me my legacy number and um you know, that was a pretty proud moment as well. I went to a dinner where they did that. And yeah, just again, just it reminds me of the, the sort of the surreal things that I've done at, at times in, in my career and been able to experience some some pretty fascinating things. 
Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I love Balmain Tigers. When when I don't do this, when we but now it's both of us. We're both physios, both physiotherapists. <laughs> and I was David Toplitz's physio back in the 80s, 90s. And like you've just said, Topo was your inspiration in going to Balmain. The year later, he did the same for me. And I went over to study physio at Balmain as well a year later. And you've reeled off all those names. Warren Ryan was the coach, Benny Elias, Gary Freeman, Ellery Anley. Although Anley had come home and it was Sean Edwards when I went over. Gary Jack, Bruce Maguire. They got to the grand final again in 89. But a great place like Ardoval. And like you said, Topo was the inspiration. He was still treated like a god at uh, Balmain Tigers, was Topo. Yeah, I think some of the British players that, that went went over and played, you know, Lee Crooks did it, Gary Schofield did it um, at Balmain. Um, they were revered, yeah. And I, I can't say I was I was like that. You know, I played five times for them. Those guys um, were embedded international players at that time and, and did, did a great job. For me, it was a different experience. It was one of, you know, realising what I wanted to do in, in the game. Um, and yeah, when I came back, I just grew as a player and ended up playing international football. And like a couple of years later, you went back to Gold Coast. And, and did you play with Wally Lewis? <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, Wally was there. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was different. That was a different experience. Uh, not quite as elite an environment. Um, mm. <clears throat> Wally was there back end of his career. Uh, still a good player. Um, yeah, I got married there. It's the best thing that happened to me at, uh, at the Gold Coast. Um, in '91, got got married 12th of June. Um, so yeah, that was that was a a special day in my life, special time in my life. Get, getting married in uh, in the Gold Coast. That was a, a beautiful place. Paul Dixon played played at the Gold Coast as well. So yeah, that was uh, it was pretty good. It wasn't the same experience, but you know, I, I played. I think I played thirteen games for for the Gold Coast. Uh, my last game was probably my, my best game. There weren't really a competitive team back then. You know, it's always been a struggle for the Gold Coast. It's such a an unbelievable holiday destination that um, I'd say getting married there was was the highlight for me. <laughs> you know, you you say once as well before we leave down under alone. Did you play in New Zealand as well before all this? Yeah, in '86, I went to Glenora Bears in uh, in Auckland and played. Uh, uh, yeah, played an off season there, uh, which was interesting. Uh, Janice came with me again. You know, we, we were pretty young then, and that was there was some challenging things there. I worked as well over there at the the, the steel factory. Didn't enjoy that too much. Um, I realized I wanted to play rugby league for a living, not work in a factory. I got I don't like heights. So uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy that too much. But yeah, it's another experience. Yeah, another experience in at the other side, and I'm prepared to put myself into an uncomfortable or being uncomfortable situations and just get on with it. I've and I've I've done that quite a few times. In this era of sort of eighties and nineties, did you have another job? What was your job? Obviously, did you work full time at Sheffield, or did you? Have yeah, a trade? I did. Yeah, after after I went to uh, Glenora in '86, I I didn't have a trade. Um, I I just uh, I came back and I I was working in a factory in uh, in Weatherby. I didn't really enjoy it, um, so I, I I got a job coaching in the, in the schools in um, uh, in Sheffield and and yeah and enjoyed that. Me and Mark Aston did a lot going around schools and mm, yeah. um yeah learned learned a lot from that. 1994, mate. Was it time for a change when you went to Keithley? 
Yeah, Keith, it was, yeah, I, they came to, to talk to me and I, yeah, I'd, I'd had a testimonial. I'd been there 11 years. I just felt like I needed something else to, to stir me up to, um, and, and Keith Lee, you know, um, Bill Lardy was there as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. It was an interesting club. Uh, they were thriving. Um, they, they started off all the bull mania, really. I mean, the, mm-hmm. you know, Bradford Bulls nicked it from Keithley. Um, <clears throat> so, I, yeah, I went to meet those guys and thought, this is a good challenge, this. You know, I ended up having a really good time at, at, at Keithley. Uh, that started out my, my route to coaching, um, really, as player coach towards the back end of my time there. Uh, and yes, yeah, there's still when I go there now, still paw prints all over the the ground. Um, so yeah, it hasn't changed too much. And then what led you to Wigan uh, to Leeds, mate? Because obviously it's a big jump from from Keithley up to Leeds. Leeds where we're just starting this kind of dynasty under under kind of Gary Everton and bringing through a lot of lot of good youth players. Uh, yeah, well, it was before that, really, at, at Leeds. Um, I mean, I, Gary Edrington knew me well from, from Sheffield. He'd taken over at Leeds. They, they wanted, you know, Keithley were going out of going out of business, but they were struggling financially, you know. Um, they'd been taken over by a guy called Carl Metcalf, uh, and they were, they were struggling fi- financially. So, uh, yeah, I got the, the opportunity to... To go to Leeds, and there were a few of us really. Um, I think there were Daz Fleary, when uh, Phil Cantill, and were the three that stuck really at Leeds. And Gary did that to sort of save Keithley, but obviously one eye on on developing Leeds as well. And and for me, the opportunity I think I was thirty one then. The opportunity for me to go there and and finish my career at Leeds was was a is something that I, I really wanted to do, and you know, I had a really good end to my career at Leeds. Did you sense that the tides were changing? Obviously, at, at, at that time, it was kind of Wigan who were leading it in, in rugby league, and then Leeds and Leeds and Bradford kind of totally took over in that time period. Yeah, well, Leeds sort of, you know, Bradford were the were the top team then, weren't they? Which is you know strange looking at it now, but they uh, they were massive physically, and uh, Leeds Leeds were sort of just trying to trying to catch up and. Uh, I, I really struggled when I first went to Leeds. So I, Graham Murray came, who I would coach me at reserve grade in uh, in, in Balmain, and <clears throat> it was uh, it was an interesting time. I couldn't get in, couldn't get in the team. Um, I was on the bench, but getting sort of five ten minutes, and then I came off uh, the bench against London, <clears throat> and the team was struggling a little bit. I sparked, I sparked them up, scored a, a try, set a couple up, and I never really got out of the team after that. Um, and that was, you know, you you get opportunity to change things in in your, your career at different times. And uh, I think we'd had a, a week off the, the week before, and I just decided to flog myself. I thought, I've got to get past. Uh, there was Graham Allroyd and Tony Kemp there, and I had to get past those guys, and I had to find a way, and I ended up really working hard, and I had this game that got me past them, and I never got out then, and I'll tell that story to players at times because it... You, know, you don't always go smooth in your career. You have to fight your way through some situations. And that was one for me. Uh, I had to get past it. And, you know, you could see Leeds under Graham Murray were going to do some some pretty special things and played in the, the first ever grand final in 98 and then won the Challenge Cup in, in 99. And that was the start, really, of, uh, of Leeds sort of on the way back. And all those young players were starting to come through. I ended up, uh, we had a scholarship um, session and Rob Burrow came up. Rob Burrow was there. Danny Maguire, 
they uh, <clears throat> and Rob set off, and I thought at first, who's this kid here? This guy's tiny, mm-hmm. and then he set off. I thought, wow, wow, I just unbelievable speed. That uh, that was the new generation coming through. That obviously led leads to doing some some unbelievable things, and I was fortunate enough to coach those guys at academy first, and then and then in in first grade when I uh, when I took over. Tell us about Graham Murray as a as a man as a coach, a rugby league bloke. Yeah, most uh, yeah, pretty special uh, guy. You know, uh, RIP. See, um, yeah, I was devastated when 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 Muzz left us. <clears throat> he was uh, a, a an unbelievable builder of culture. Uh, just all little roles really that were for the team. Um, his game plan was was pretty simple but effective. Um, it was it was all about the the his ability to manage manage people and get the best out of them and get a team just you know being together, sitting together, eating together, working for each other. Uh, he held a group of really experienced players together there uh, and and bonded something pretty special that I'll never forget. Good stuff. How and how did the coaching job come about at Leeds? Thirty-five. You were thirty-five at the time. It's a big job for uh, anybody. Yeah, well, I'd retired uh, the year before, and I was um, I was coaching the kids, and and Dean Lance was was head coach, and he was struggling uh, a little bit. Um, and uh, Gary came came to me, knocked on my window, and said, "I want you to take the job." I said, "Absolutely no way. I'm not ready." <laughs> And then he came back the night after and did the same again. And it was more more Janice sort of questioning me, what do you think? It's a good opportunity. And and she played a big part really in me, in me taking the job. But I was petrified when I took the job. You know, I had sort of minimal. I'd, I'd been a player coach at Keithley for a year or less than a year. And then I'd been youth development um, for uh, about three months maybe at, at Leeds. Um and they offered me the job, and I ended up taking it. But geez, I was scary. That was scary. I was coaching some of the players that I'd uh, I'd played with, but it was just um, yeah, it was just tough. Uh, but you know, I, I worked hard for you know, two and a half years there to you know, and we, and we were growing. We were growing. The young players were coming. Uh, in my last year, we um, uh, we we got to the Challenge Cup final, lost to Bradford. And then um, we were one game away from from the, the the grand final and got knocked out by Wigan. So uh, yeah, it, it was growing, and I, I felt like I'd I'd done a a good job um, as a young coach. But uh, yeah, I ended up stepping down, and uh, yeah, it was an interesting period. That there's there's some sort of mistruths told about that that time and what happened to me there, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting, but challenge super challenging to go and coach that team. But then I learned so much. Mal, Mal really uh, and Mick Cook were my assistant coaches. Um, mm-hmm. So Mal, Mal as a really experienced coach was was great to have around, uh, and Cookie was fantastic. So yeah, it was it was a challenging time, but one I I learned a hell of a lot from. Can we ask you what happened when they brought Tony Smith in? Were you a bit disillusioned? Did you step down or? No, I, I went to interview him with Gary. Because um, Gary had said to me, "Do you think um, do you think you you could you'd want to step out and and study coaching? Just go and study coaching." I said, "Well, not yet." He asked me the year before. I said, "Not this year." I said, "Look, I need, I want another year." And, and then the year after was a really strong year. Um, and then that year, I said, "Look, I'll I'll do it now." So I had a four year contract there. I, I went with him to interview Tony Smith, 
Um, and um, uh, he, he he took the job. Uh, I I I had a, a contract to come out for two years, and then take the job back um, after two years. But then they won the comp in the first year. <laughs> yeah. um, so it got extended to five years. And that's where my impatience kicked in of going, well, I'm not coaching, I need to coach. So then I went to Ruby Union then. Uh, and that's where that came. But that, it was, that, that didn't happen uh, the way people talk about it. Uh, I wasn't pushed aside or, or any of that. It was my choice. I could have stayed a head coach if I wanted, but I decided that I felt like I needed to learn more being a really young head coach. Uh, and Tony Smith had had a, had a, a better grounding than me from a coaching perspective. He'd been working with his brother for years, so you know he had a he had a pretty good good foundation, I think. And was Leeds take something different? Did you learn something new there? Because they had some big names there at the time. Well, yeah, I looked at a, a new sport, and you know I went from being skills coach. So I ended up uh, head coach. I, you know, nobody ever spoke about this, but I, I, I was uh, slightly different format in rugby union. But I'm the only person to ever be head coach of a rugby league super league club and head coach of a, a premiership uh rugby union club um mm -hmm. and that's you know I, I grew to being you know a, a big part of what what they were doing um you know i was coaching all the attack so to learn a, a sport like that you know and and to grow and develop i know a lot of rugby uh, league coaches have done it um you know, I, I felt like I learned a lot from it and, uh, and and really enjoyed my time in rugby union. But then it was time. I just felt like it was time to to get back into uh, into rugby league, and that's where the Featherstone opportunity came up. Tell us about Featherstone then, mate. How did that come about? Yeah, it's it a rugby union game. Uh, a guy called Andy Prout, who was CEO at Featherstone at the time, was at the game, and and he just uh, said to me, "Do you fancy rugby league?" And I said, "You know what, mate, I really do." Uh, and they were they were in need of a culture uh, refresh, um, and uh, yeah, it was a great opportunity for me. And I, I had four years there. I went in and uh, and had a had a great time. You know, initially turning the club around, uh, part time players. We ended up training on the morning. And I said, "Look, come before you you your job, uh, do weights, go to your job, come back, do your field session, and then you'll be home with your families earlier." Um, and it ended up completely changing the the culture at the club. Uh, it got rid of people who didn't want to be there. <laughs> uh, created a foundation for for kickstart. You know, getting to where we wanted to be. You know, grand finals and and winning league comps. You know, which is probably you know if you look at where we are now, I've I've sort of I've got previous in terms of coaching in the championship, and I think that sort of really helps me. You know, you go into Batley and Whitehaven and I, and Dewsbury and all these places where I understand. I understand what it's like, um, and some of our boys haven't been there for a while, so uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be. I'll give them a decent insight. How do you change your coaching approach, Daryl, to to coaching championship sides or coaching against Super League sides? Well, it's just the same, isn't it? I think you know it's just making sure that because we we've got a, a really good group. I think I think we've got a good squad, uh, talented boys, people who've been here a while that are ready for ready for change. You can see that. Um, but it's just it's keeping people motivated and and fresh and and enjoying what they're doing and and taking the challenges on. I think it's it's the mental approach that is slightly different. I think the the coaching approach to to it all is is the same. I just think mentally we've got to be exactly where we need to be. Um, but coaching's coaching. You know, it's it's the same. It's getting a group together and giving them a reason, giving them uh, helping them to to grow and prosper. Um, and then 
you know, that look, I, I've been really impressed with this group of boys. I think you know, I, I think they're ready to go and I think they're ready for the challenge. So I don't think we're going to have any any problems with that. I think um, I think they're really highly motivated. The coaching job is to make sure it stays that way. And then you went down the road, mate. And then we won't speak about these too long because we speak about Castleford on the Trinity podcast. Won't go down too well. But you, you built an incredibly talented side down at Castle in, in that area you were there, mate. T- tell us about that period down at Cass and the return of Classy Cass, I guess. Yeah, well, I looked at the, I was at Featherstone at the time and I thought, oh, geez, you know, me, me and Mike were sort of, you know, not hitting it off at the time. And I thought, I think I need a new challenge here. And I looked at the, the cast job, Ian Millward was there. We beat him in the Challenge Cup the year before. And I thought, look, I reckon this is a great job for me. So, um, yeah, taking that job on was was a no-brainer. And they offered Jimmy Lozick to start with, which uh, I was a bit disgruntled about. But then they came back to me and he turned it down and I took it on. And I just thought, this is an easy fix, this. Good players need some stimulation, need to believe in what they're doing. Uh, and and it was a we turned it around pretty quick in two thirteen. Um, started to play some decent stuff. Um, got the players on board. Gave them a reason. Gave them a focus, or supported that focus. They were they were ready for change. And then uh, it just grew from there really. Uh, and and we we built the squad sort of piece by piece. But it was a it ended up being a really flexible squad that you you could just give them anything. Just give them anything, and they could just you, you click the fingers and do it. You know the uh, the talented players, people who, who who so we signed people like people like Luke Gale, who was just you know he was he was doing all right, but he wasn't you know he wasn't great. But I just thought he could be phenomenal. This kid, uh, when people like Grant Millington, Michael Shenton, real smart players with lots of flexibility and ability to if you challenged him, he said, look, I think we can do it this way. They'd just say, okay, let's have a go. Signed Liam Finn, who was from Featherston. He did a great job just organising the team as well. Uh, and, and then it was just, yeah, key additions. And then 2017 was just sort of the pinnacle of it all, really, that, you know, we, it, it all came together. Uh, and the problem after that was, you know, I the rattle on a bit, cast fans at times, but, you know, it just needed investment. It just needed investment in the squad, you know, and I was sort of, I was screaming for that and it, it just didn't come. And that's where I got frustrated, and and then you know we still we did all right. We done all right. We got Challenge Cup finals when I was there, and um, you know, and and always finished all right in the comp until the back end. Uh, around COVID, COVID sort of killed us. You know, we we battered St. Helens in that game just going into COVID, and then uh, we lost our way there. Some of the players lost the way. Some of the coaching staff lost the way, and we ended up falling apart when we came back. Um. But that that's history, you know. And and, and for me, I think it's that I, I see a similar opportunity to build something special, but with investment, you know. I think ongoing investment then creates a dynasty, um, and that's you know the potential of of Wakefield is, is it, Matt Matt's doing what what he's doing, and you get a, a coaching group who who know what they're doing and ability to to pull a team together and to sign high quality players. Then you've got a special uh, mix there. You you start you you kind of the start to the tenure at Featherston, Castleford, and Wakefield all sounds similar with like you wanting to make a change in the culture of the club and the change in the ways on and off the field. Do you have a blueprint for that? Do, do you kind of know in the head in your head of of what you want to kind of project in in the dressing room and outside on the field? Oh yeah yeah I think um, I, I suppose you, you know um, the 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 last couple of years has has, has taught me that. 
you know, coaches have certain brands, don't they? They have certain brands and certain things that they're, they're very good at. And and I think, uh, yeah, the, <clears throat> for me, is get they get, they get the boys. Just get the boys where they need to be. Sign the right players. Get rid of anybody who you think you're not quite the kind of person I want here. Do all that first. Um, and and then, you know, just, just be yourself around it. Be yourself. Do what you think's right. Uh, I like the game to be played a certain way. Um, you know, we're a spectator sport. Uh, but it has to be effective as well. It has to be effective as well. But first thing first, get the people right. Get the people right. Get Get the education right. Um and then and then drive it, drive it, and then if you get the if you get the education right, the players will drive it as well, and they're with you. So it's, yeah, the people are massively important, and then it's just old standards with old standards. Don't don't start dropping off your standards. You know the boys will probably tell you that he, you know, they're not getting away with too much in terms of standards because I just believe you should you should be a certain way. And sometimes it drives me crazy, crazy because I can't leave things. If I see it, I have to say it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I try and do it in a nice way if I can. <laughs> but the boys have been good here. They've been real class. Excellent. One last question about Cass before we move on. I've heard you talk about a 10-game story before. What's that story? Is it something linked to that 2017 season or was it something else? No, that was actually two sixteen. So um, it was, you know, so I'm always big on telling stories for a team to give them something to believe in and grab hold of. So the ten game story was uh, we were ten, we had ten games left in the season. I think we were about eight points behind St Helens, who we needed to catch. So I told them a story about these are the games and this is what's going to happen. So I told them around Challenge Cup. Uh, this, these are the teams that are in the semi-final. This is what's going to happen to them. We play them there. So it was like we're playing Hull. I can't remember the exact game sequence. But I said, look, they're going to come out from the semi-final. We're going to pick them off there. We know we know we can beat them then because every team has a drop out there. And then we were playing Witness, so I knew we could beat. And then it was St. We played St. Helens. And I said, at that point, this is what... So it, I was just telling a story about where teams were. It wasn't real at that time, but it's what I thought was going to happen. Um, and we ended up nearly reeling St. Helens in. And what I said at the start was, we might not win the competition this year, but we'll have a great chance next year. And that was like the two. And I got the players sort of writing stuff on boards. What's your commitment this week? Nothing new, that. But what are you going to do to make yourself a better player this week? And then it ended up being 216 turning to 217. And we knew in pre-season, I knew that I could look at every player and go. We went on camp to uh, Lanzarote. And um, I know then, you know, everybody got up and spoke about what they were going to do in the season. And you're like, wow, here we go. Uh, and we won that comp, you know, the comp 10, gate, 10 points clear. And mm. um, all that was just built through the pre-season. Excellent stuff. Warrington, mate. We've got to mention Warrington. We'll just have a couple of questions about that. But when you went there, I've heard you tell another story. When you went in there, you wanted a change entitlement. What did you mean by that? Change in entitlement of Warrington? Oh, well, that that came from uh, the uh, the club. That that came from the board saying, you know, we uh, we want to get uh, create accountability and get rid of entitlement. And I said, well, I'll do that, but there's going to be a cost to that, you know, um, because there is, and I can do, I can do, I can. I went into that that en uh, environment, and I was, I was pretty hard on on people, and said, boys, this is the way it's going to be, and you know, they they just they didn't take too well to that. There were fourteen players off contract, 
Um, some of them had made the decision about me before I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that uh, that created a, a toxic environment. Uh, I don't think it was a great environment ever, if I'm honest, but um, the challenge was for me to change it. Uh, but but then the you know uh, the the guy who said it got pretty spoke pretty quick. You know what I mean? He's, he ain't got a, I won't say what it is, but he ain't got an awful lot of durability about him. <laughs> um, and so that was disappointing. But uh, look, I, the the one thing I'll say about Warrington is both me and me and Janice really enjoyed the area, and we enjoyed the people and the place around there. But you know, I I won't have an awful lot of time for. Um, you know, just for the experience there, but yeah, you know, in general, people were pretty good to me. Um, you know, the, the games were weren't great, but some of them, and I, I just look, it was just one of them. You know, you, you, everything in your life doesn't go the way you want it to go, uh, and it and it didn't, and I, I, I'm disappointed about it. But you know, you, you know when you feel like coming to Wakefields made me realize uh, what I needed. Uh, and the environment that I feel the best in, and and I feel I can prosper and help people to grow, um, and I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that there, um, and there's different reasons for that. I won't blame everybody else. I, I have to take a bit of responsibility, but um, look, it is what it is. I'm happy that I've moved on now, and 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 uh, happy in the environment that I'm in. Did you sell up and move over there, you and Janice? We didn't sell up, but we moved over there. So our daughter lived in our place, and uh, we we moved over there, and we 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 had a we had a great place over there by the canal, and we both really really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, it uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Live and learn. Yeah, we act exactly. We've moved on, mate. Matt Ellis gave you a, sent you a text last year. Um, what you, you thought you were trying to flog your kitchen, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were trying to sell me a kitchen, Matt. Yeah, uh, it's DIY. Yeah, it's Matt Ellis from DIY Kitchens. I'm like, well, I don't know. I was sat next to Janice. There's a guy trying to sell me a kitchen here, Janice. Uh, and she was um, she was right, what's that? I said, oh, I don't know. And then I scrolled down and said, oh, no, it's interesting. This uh, The potential new owner of Wakefield Trinity wants to talk to me. So I've gone, right, okay, let's crack on with it. So, yeah, I went to see him after that. And I mean, we've spoken about the new vision, the new season, mate. But it, it's the first time in my lifetime as a fan, probably the first time in, in more than 25 years, that Wakefield are entering a season where we're probably favourites to win the majority of our games, at least, you know, with the bookies or if you read the <clears throat> read social media. How do you take that again into a change room and, and kind of stop complacency and focus on just what's in front of you? Standards. Just talk about our standards all the time. You know, don't don't worry. So I've said, look, we're going to focus on us. We'll watch opposition, but we'll focus on us. Do what we do. Be the very best that we can be. Um, you know, create a system of uh, accountability um, uh, and responsibility of players, and I, I, I think, it's, and just be consistent. I think um, you know there'll be some challenges along the way. Uh, like you've already alluded to, a lot of them are mental, really, and. Um, and we've just got to be ourselves, just be ourselves, be be the very best version of us. And um, yeah, it's a great opportunity for us. Have you got goals for yourself for this season? Oh, yeah, no, for me, just, you know, I, I, for me, it's just to, to be, uh, and I may mean, talk about the uh, PhD that I talk about all the time, it's positive, honest and durable. And so that comes to me as well. You know, I want to be positive every time I go to the club. I want to be honest with myself and players. And then I want to be durable. You know, it's it's a long season. There's a lot of games there. 
Um, and and I've got to be what I'm asking the players to be. I've got to I've got to walk the talk. So yeah, I think uh, that's what I want to to do. Um, obviously, I want to win things. You know, it's you know we it'd be foolish for us to to say yeah no we just want to go and play games. We want to win. We want to win the comps that we're in. Uh, you know, we want to go if if we get to the Challenge Cup and play a Super League team, we want to go and beat that Super League team. So, you know, it's there's different things in there. I think we're all we're all like minded in 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 what what we're after, and um, we want it to be a special season. And and you do well with surrounding yourself with these you know these veteran players. We got obviously you got Luke Gale by your side again. Signing someone like Jerry McGilvery is is massive. Any and I think he still would have gone to more Super League clubs. You know, you brought Danny Kerman back as well. Is it important for you to have these leaders on the field as well as obviously yourself and your coaching staff off it? Yeah, they're, they're important. You know, Jeremy Gilbert was an interesting one. He's, um, I just think he's so motivated and positive about his final season in rugby league. You know, Gailey's, um, Gailey was, you know, he was already there anyway. Um, but having experienced players is is important. There's some, you know, I've been super impressed with people like uh, Jay Pitts and, and Matty Ashurst, you know, uh, Josh Griffin's been, been good, Gailey's good, Mason Lee, you know, you know, there's a lot of experience there. So <clears throat> Josh Bowden actually has been one who's really surprised and uh, and impressed me. Um, and I think that's been, you know, I think it's just a response from players who've, who've wanted things to change a little bit. And, and we've got, a, you know, a shed load of new signings coming in, potentially a whole load of debuts this weekend away at York. Any anyone that's really standing out for you? I think God is is going to go really well this season. I well, probably I'd, I'd look at a young player. I've mentioned him a bit. Just uh, at, uh, just Pratty, I think is you know, Oliver Pratt's been been really good. Uh, he's he's a great athlete. He's only young, real sharp. Uh, I think as a young player, he would be the one. Um, yeah, you know, Le- Le- people like Liam Ward. I mentioned him. You know, he's been he's been outstanding. Um, I I just think the team more the team I just see as a as being a real unified team, and when you've got a unified team, I think they're going to do special things. So I won't really go for individuals. I just think the team as a as a whole, the way I look at them at the moment, I just think they're really uh, a really strong unit. Who's going to captain us this year? Have you have you have you got a captain sorted? Yeah, so so Matty Ashurst will uh, will stay as captain. So he's another one, you know. I've, I I don't see any reason to change it. When I came in, I was pretty open minded. wasn't really sure. Um, I thought I'll just wait, wait and see. But he's been a really calming influence uh, in the couple of games that we've played. You know, the guys who go out on the field are, are just talking about the the way that he talks in a really smart, calm way. Because being a captain is not always about jumping up and down eights. You know, it's about being calm and and um, and smart around around your teammates, and then leading by example, which he does as well as anybody else. Um, I think there, there's certain people in there, um, people like Hood Pitts, Gale will do what they do anyway. I don't think they need the armband. You know, they they are what they are. I was the same as a player I, when I went to Keithley. I didn't need the captaincy and just get me on the field, and I'll just say what I'm going to say anyway. And um, I think that we've got a few players like that. And you've got some fascinating off-field changes as well. Obviously, Permo's come in. Uh, Michael Shenton looks like a, a coach of the future. You've got sort of uh, Matty Crowder in physio and Ben Cooper in S&C. You hold backroom staff. But Steve Mills fascinates me. We haven't had anything like that before. What's his role at the club? 
Yeah, well, he's a recruitment manager. So, yeah. um, you know, if you look at the young young guys we've signed from overseas, you know, that's that's him. That's his imprint on it. You know, he's worked really hard because we had no middle unit players. He's worked really hard to get those those players on board. And, you know, there's a lot in that. It's um, getting all the data together, talking to agents, um, getting references for all these players, setting up Zoom calls, meeting, meeting agents over here, all of that. So... And I, I felt like I needed, uh, I knew him pretty well anyway, but I needed somebody like him who would just go and do do that. Um, then it doesn't take too much of my energy and I can make sure I get the boys where they need to be. Um, so we've got a really experienced staff. Uh, and Millsy is quite young, uh, but he's exceptional in terms of what he does and his knowledge. And, uh, and he communicates really well. He's got a really uh, old head on, on young shoulders. So... Yeah, I think that's worked really well. And I think, uh, you know, as we move forward and we talk about signings into the future, I think everybody's going to see the influence that uh, that his role is going to have on that. Yeah, wonderful stuff. One last question for me, mate. It's not to do with modern state. I meant to ask you this about half an hour ago. Did David Topless once try and sign you when he when, when Topper was coach? And did you turn him down? Uh, Topper trying to say, he spoke to me about it, but he never really got into any kind of detail and, and depth. But I, I was pretty close with, with Topper. We just played touch against him all the time and and really liked him. And his, his wife's got the same. He seems felt the same as mine, uh, Daryl. Um, so, you know, I just thought they were a wonderful uh, couple. And, and he was such a special person. You know, I really enjoyed uh, my time in and around uh, Topper. Um, our overcall is still his his name, his uh, his nickname, you know. So, um, he was a great man and a, and a phenomenal player. I've just, I've just written his book, so when I'm back at Bellevue, I'll have to drop you one off because I've written his biography. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot. And then just to round off, mate, just last question overall. I, I'm big on mindset. I'm big on kind of mindfulness, being at peace with yourself, and being happy. What what do you do to relax? Can you can you take your mind off rugby league? <laughs> Oh, well, not much to be honest, but um, yeah, obviously I'm I'm married. I'm a granddad now, so I've got got two uh, beautiful uh, grandchildren, a uh, boy and a girl, uh, Clark and Reva. So um, yeah, my my two girls. I'm a family man. Um, I love my family, um, and th- those two additions sort of. You, you, I I just think you know. I thought uh, me and my wife brought two beautiful people into on into the world onto the planet. And I think they're they're going to do the same. You know, my youngest daughter hasn't had children yet, but my uh, my eldest having two uh, really makes me proud. And and it's that I think that um, you know makes me feel makes me feel like I've achieved something. Um, that you bring more beautiful people into the world, and if that if that happens through my kids as well, then you know that, that's something that uh, that will make me happy with myself. Um, we've got a, a lodge in, in York where I'm at the moment actually we come over here and chill out I love water um, uh, and we, we, we've we got a little dinghy that they jump on now and again and have a cruise up the river so uh, things like that things like that but I'm always thinking about the game but my wife's always giving me a hard time because I generally commit hell of a lot to it which I think I have to but um, I don't regret it I've had a great time well, it's it's certainly an exciting season for us, mate. I I mean, I again, I'm I'm 31. I can't ever remember being this excited before a Trinity season. It's probably the same for Dad as well in a long, long time. 
Everybody that's listening to this is super excited for this season. It's a new era for Wakefield Trinity. And thank you so much for being the man at the forefront of that. And uh, let's uh, fingers crossed it all goes well on Sunday away at York. Yeah, OK. Thanks a lot, guys. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for joining episode 119 of the Wakefield Trinity Territory podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and on social media, too. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson, and even bigger thank you to the busiest man in Wakefield at the minute, Wakefield Trinity head coach, Daryl Powell. I've been JB Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Mm-hmm.